You're listening to The Fallout with Joey Semmel and Drew Gillis. Thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome into another episode of The Fallout. Joey Semmel and Drew Gillis are officially back. We are committing to weekly Sunday episodes from here on out. This week we talk about the amazing World Series Game 4 between the Dodgers and the Rays, the recent flurry of NFL transactions, and we play a fun, spooky Halloween game to discuss the end of the NBA season. Let's do it. Two strikes. Jansen. So <laughs> this is the second time that we've recorded this baseball segment. And if you watched any of the game last night, um, then you know why we have to re-record this. <laughs> um, we had a whole over-under reactions about Arosa Arena, Brandon Lau, um, the rest of the series, the Dodgers win it, blah, 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 blah. But instead, we're going to devote this entire segment to where it belongs, just talking about what was probably the greatest baseball game in the World Series since 2016 Game 7. And my question to you, Drew, <laughs> did you watch it? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. I know the answer. Okay, okay, okay. Can I say that I did because I watched innings two through five? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you left that game. It, okay. just, it shocks me. It shocks I me. Left, so, so, I, so, I left. I, I usually do the same thing. I usually do the same thing. I watch until it gets late, and then I go. If it's a Friday or Saturday, I go and I do stuff, um, like on campus and things like that. But dude, um, my roommates have been pushing to watch this movie for like a week. Like every day this week, we've tried to find a time. Hang on, hang on, damn good. Hang movie. on, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> God damn it! I'm cooking dinner. I'm in the fifth inning. Urias gets taken out. Uh, after four and two thirds and fucking nine strikeouts, I watched like almost his whole outing. Fucking amazing. Then of course I hear from the other room they're trying to put on the movie, and I hear, "Well, oh, the connection in here is bad." So I'm like, "Oh, that's okay. I'll just close my laptop and help the connection." <laughs> Joey, Jesus Christ, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> so what's funny too is the the fifth is when it got crazy. I know. Right? I, it's so. literally as I close my laptop. I think you're welcome. I think that's the lesson. Um, here. Yeah, but just to throw some facts, eight consecutive half innings um, with runs scored. Ridiculous. <laughs> I that's mean, ridiculous. that is unheard of. Unheard of. And then all of a sudden the bullpen gets good in the bottom of the eighth uh, for the Dodgers and the top of the ninth for the Rays. And we go to the bottom of the ninth and it's a 7-6 ball game. And Arena's due up four. So obviously you're just looking for that one base runner. See if anyone can get on base. Um, to keep the line moving. And of course, it's Kevin Kiermeyer who just, he doesn't hit ever, but when he does hit, <laughs> it's just huge base hits. Um, yep. And his home run was equally Launched as big earlier in the game as well. Launched one um, in the seventh. And you just knew he was going to do it too. You just, you had that feeling, right? When you were, when you were watching it, right? Um, you, just, you just had that feeling. And then a Rosarina comes up and you're thinking, they walk him and you're thinking, oh my God, this is fucking over. Like, this is a classic Kevin Cash outmanages himself uh, to the point where essentially the season, not quite the season, but essentially the season comes down to Brett Phillips, um, who pinch ran for G-Man Choi, who pinch hit for Mike Brousseau. That's just how we drew so, it up, Joey. <laughs> right. But that's that's the whole point is like he, this whole thing. Kevin Cash is one of those guys. He has this. It, it reminds me of Joe Torre. Um, he, just even when he pushes the wrong button, he pushes the right yep. button. And 
fucking Brett Phillips comes up, and that was the craziest play I've ever seen in my entire life. That's true. Um, I can't think of a crazy Looper play. in the center? Like, first of all, he didn't hit it hard, nope. right? And, and then it's a routine play for Chris Taylor in center field who plays nine positions. Um, not actually nine. We'll give him seven. <laughs> seven, seven positions at a plus level, right? Um, fucking bobbles it. Arozarena's run, and he falls down. And then Will Smith drops it. What What just happened? I, 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 like, that was my exact reaction when I saw the replay. What the fuck just happened? What just happened? And and I want to point out another thing, too. <laughs> Brett Phillips did not hit that ball hard. We mentioned that. It got yeah. through the shift. That ball went all the way through the shift on the left side. I have no idea. It's like literally the baseball gods. Kevin Kiermeyer's hit. Broken bat single. He had only the handle in his hands. After his hands, there was no more bat. The bat <laughs> fucking shattered. Like, it, And I saw that ball land. I saw Kiermeyer's ball land and just went, oh, here we go. I mean that. What a crazy fucking inning! But go ahead. It, it just it, it, one of those things that literally doesn't make sense. <laughs> like you have to watch it again in order to process <laughs> what was happening, right? But I haven't seen anyone say this, right? Um, I'll tell you why Will Smith dropped the ball. He was moving to his right because the throw from Chris Taylor was horrible and was way up the first base line. Um, and he, I don't think Taylor was, or I don't think Smith was expecting Muncie to cut it off. So he starts moving to his right, going up the first base line, and then he has to go back once Muncie's cut it off. And Muncie made the right move to cut it off because it was a terrible throw. Terrible throw. throw. <laughs> terrible throw. It was a throw. panic throw from Taylor. Um, right. And Muncie cuts it off, Smith's moving to his left, and the throw is to his right. So he's reaching back to his right as he's moving to his left um, in all his catcher's gear and stuff. Like, like that's a tough play to make. Yep. So. Uh, do do I expect a major leaguer to catch that ball and make that play? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Right. But um, that's why he dropped it. And I haven't seen anyone say that. I'm surprised they didn't talk about it on the Fox post game. Um, I watched MLB Network for a little bit after, and they didn't say it either. It was all just they were dumbfounded he dropped the ball. And granted, they're major leaguers, so they know what to expect. But so what a crazy play! What a crazy game! Crazy play! It, I got two things. One, thank you for not bringing up somehow Jeter's flip there. I felt I felt like you were going to, because uh, it looked kind of similar. It wouldn't have made sense. It wouldn't have made sense. <laughs> not really. The Jeter's flip. <laughs> fuck you. Didn't really make sense. But. <laughs> um, the second one that gets me is when we were recording this segment yesterday, before the game happened, we recorded after game three, decided to scrap the whole thing because game four was so crazy. But in, at the end of our segment in Game 3, I go, God, I hope the Dodgers fall flat on their faces and lose in six. Well, they did part one. Yeah. <laughs> That's falling flat on your fucking face right there. That was fun to watch for me. Um, what what other big moments led to that? Well, I, I know the, Brand, the Brandon Lau homer. Yeah, yeah. It's probably the biggest. The three-run homer gave him the lead um, that they then subsequently blew multiple times. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, that was the big one. That was that was the game changer because that offense had been okay. They had scraped across two, um, but wasn't wasn't themselves. And, and uh, how about Brandon Lau? Well, I I, I, I want to say time I know he hits a homer, he goes oppo. It's, <laughs> now it's well crazy. now he does. He, he's got like the Aaron yeah. Judge curse. Uh, <laughs> no, I was gonna say Lau's had terrible swings all playoffs. His body's completely, like completely disconnected. They were showing it on MLB Central one day. Mark DeRosa just going off about his entire upper and lower halves are just totally disconnected. Uh, not on that swing. What a, f- what a beautiful swing. 
What a beautiful baseball swing by a guy that hasn't been able to do it for most of these playoffs in the biggest moment possibly of his career. Does it? I mean, what a beautiful, beautiful at-bat. I think he has three hits in the World Series, and all of them are homers. Um, (laughs) And all of them are homers to the opposite field. So the swing's still disconnected, but if he gets you that one big bop a game, then... You know, tell, tell him to keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, and he, and he did have the ball that Mookie made a leaping grab for last night. Um, I feel like Mookie's one of the only outfielders that actually makes that play in the league, and one of the only left, uh, right fielders. Uh, the other so it looks like he's squaring it up. About... I think Lau being big in this series is just huge. I mentioned this before last time before we recorded again. Lau, Lau needs to step up for the Rays if they want to win this series. I mean, he he was the guy that had like the 1,000 OPS to start the season for the first month and then kind of fell off and has been terrible in the playoffs, and they've been dragging him along with their pitching. If he can step it up, I mean, you saw what they gave him last night. Yeah, the other guy we talked about was Rosarena in that section, and um, <laughs> those are the two guys who we said have to carry this Rays lineup. Um, we, we didn't say defensive stalwart Kevin Kiermeyer, but here we are. <laughs> but those are the two guys who we keyed on and said they have to carry this Rays lineup. And uh, Arena hadn't done much in games one and two, and he had the late homer in game three. Um, but And he, he was quiet for those first three games. He was loud last night. Um, yeah. He had that fear factor again when he was up where you just felt like every at-bat he was going to do something. Goes down 0-2, doesn't matter. Nope. Gets a hit. Um, so I think he might get intentionally walked every at bat from here on out. Like I'm half kidding. Like they might not pitch to him again. I mean, he just set the record for most home runs in a postseason. Um, just absolutely crazy. And he's a fucking rookie. And as someone who plays in his division, I don't want to fucking play him every <laughs> 19 times a year for six years. I'd be, I'd be more scared of him than I am of Soto. <laughs> I'm, fucking terrified of him um and the cardinals let him go for fucking free it's crazy like, that i mean that's what tampa does that it's crazy what they can do with player development and what they yep. can do with their with their salary it's just ridiculous what they're getting done on a year-to-year basis but this year especially obviously look at what they're doing against the best team in baseball by far the dodgers but but i made this point but a big piece of it is kevin cash who oh, so just big. pushes every single button and even when it's wrong, even when he outmanages himself to the point where the season comes down to Brett Phillips, he's right. He's <laughs> right. It's just amazing. Did you, Brett, did, Phillips, Brett Phillips didn't have a hit for over a month before last night. He'd never had a postseason hit. I don't think he had an RBI since August. I, I mean, Joe Buck he, had a he's great a 176 call. hitter um, <laughs> over the last two years. Like, what? Joe Buck had a great call before he came to bat and when he came up to bat. Uh, and the one before he, when he came up to bat was, um, or he basically said uh, before Phillips at bat, well, the Dodgers are going to try to walk a Rosarena here to get to Phillips, who has never had a big at bat like this in his career and probably won't do anything with it. That's essentially what Joe Buck said. I remember when he said it, I started just laughing at the screen because, of course, I'm watching 30 fucking minutes after the fact. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, even Joe Buck is like, this guy has no shot. This guy is not going to get the game-winning hit, and if he did, it'd be absolutely insane. And look what happened. You know what he hit for um, Tampa this year in 17 games? Under 200. 150. (laughs) Not even close to 200. He had three hits. He was three for 20 
<laughs> and then he's the guy he got up in a situation like that. He had seven strikeouts. He had almost as many strikeouts as he did hits. Um, in 20 at-bats. That ain't great. Um, but he's the guy you have up with the season on the line. And, of course, he comes through because that's baseball. And, you know, I tweeted this from our Twitter account. Last night was one of those nights that just makes me feel bad for people who don't like baseball because yes. what that game was, that was a fucking amazing game. And baseball probably caught some fans for life. Uh, I, would, I would say so, <laughs> yes. I mean, honestly, this and the NLDS Game 7, those two games both had really, really good ratings. Happened to be on a weekend, which is awesome. Yeah. Both two of the best games I can remember seeing in yep. the yep. in the past Absolutely. few years. Uh, that that's awesome for baseball, and I know we talk about ratings as well in this episode. Just just to wrap up this segment because we are dragging on, but what a game to drag on about! <laughs> um, who who do you have tonight, and who do you have for the series tonight? For some reason, I'm going to take the wrong pick here and say the Dodgers. I just think Kershaw is going to turn it on. I don't know why. Um, well, I know why because he's the greatest pitcher of our generation. But I don't know why I think he'll do it in the playoffs. I saw a stat yesterday that said Kershaw has, of all playoff pitchers who have more than 100 innings pitched, he has the highest ERA for the postseason (laughs) with a 4.31, which is not high. It just shows the caliber of play that happens in the postseason. Um, But that, I mean, that's not a good sign for him. And for some reason, I got a feeling. I just think he's going to be just dominant tonight. He was dominant last time out, and I think he's going to do it again. And for the series, I'm still taking Dodgers, uh, but I'll take Dodgers in seven now. I can see this going seven. After a game like that, I can see this going seven. And it's hard not to pick the Rays after they win like that, but I'm still going Dodgers in seven. What do you got? So I'm torn, right? Um, I think the Rays win the series, and I'll tell you why. And then I'll give you my pick for tonight. So here's why I think they win the series. So think about what they have lined up for the next three three or four games, right, if it goes seven. They have Morton waiting for game seven. Um, well, that didn't go they well. still have – still, he's been amazing. He's been the anti-Kershaw. Yeah, you still give him um, the ball. Yeah. In the playoffs, yeah. right. He's been amazing. Um, so they have Glass now one more time, Snell one more time, and Morton one more time. They have to go two and one <laughs> in those three games, basically. Um, I think they can do that. Uh, I really, really you're do. You're leaving out the pitcher, the Dodgers pitcher. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you in there. your part. I'm, I'm okay. getting there. Okay. I'm, I'm getting there, and I understand that um, the Dodgers have Kershaw and Bueller, but we don't know what we're going to get from Kershaw, first of all, and who the fuck you got in between Kershaw and Bueller? <laughs> no one. <laughs> Tony Gonsolin and a bullpen game? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's probably the plan right that's now. That's tough. Um, I, I don't think that's how you want it drawn up, so... While I think the Dodgers win tonight, I think the Rays win the next two after that, uh, with Snell going tomorrow or Snell going Tuesday and Morton going Wednesday. They just have to go two and one with their three aces. This is how the Rays have drawn it up for years. So wait, you're taking uh, Kershaw tonight, though. I'm taking Kershaw tonight, and I'm taking the Rays for the series. Wow. So you're saying whether it's Game Six or Game Seven, and I think he's lined up for Game Seven, Bueller. Bueller Morton. I'm taking Morton over Bueller. Wow. Two of the better postseason yeah, that's, pitchers. That's a, that's a great matchup, actually. It's I don't know. Bueller, but, but Bueller's then, been the most then, dominant starter in the in the postseason this year. So I, w- I will say 
I think they knock Bueller out after five. I think it's like a one nothing game after five. Morton gives him six. Very possible. Bueller gives him five, and then they get into that bullpen a little early. And you saw it last night. <laughs> Shit happens. <laughs> this Dodgers bullpen um, has some leaks in it. They, I understand they've been good. Um, and I understand Gratterall did his job. He got his one out. But including Jansen, this bullpen has some issues. And um, I get it. The Rays ace relievers also allowed runs. But um, I have a lot of trust <laughs> in those Rays relievers. And Kevin Cash does too. He's not going to hesitate to go to him. So um, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think if the Rays win tonight and they just have to go one and one with Snell and Glass or Snell and uh, Morton. You, you can feel pretty good about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, but I also I, I have no clue what the pitching plan is going to be for the Dodgers game six. I think the Rays win game six for sure. Um, and then game seven, I think, will be interesting as hell. And you never know the game seven. I'm going with the Rays. They feel like that team of destiny. They do. If any team does this year, it has felt like them all season. Yep. All right, Drew. Time for the National Football League. Um, and as we record this on Thursday, this is the last thing we're going to do before the thrilling Thursday night matchup between the 1-5 and five Giants and the 1-4-1 and one Philadelphia Eagles. Being real, that's um, going to be a fun game to watch. <laughs> oh, I'm very excited just because it's the Giants. But, um, <laughs> Whoever I, I wins could little, win the division. <laughs> I get a little happy. Yeah, crazy. Crazy playoff implications on a Thursday night. Yep. Um, but... I want to ask you, there's been a lot of roster movement in the past couple of days, and we'll continue to see more as we approach the trade deadline. But um, I want to ask you, what do you think the best move made so far was? And what do you think the worst move made so far was? I'm going to go first with the best move because I think you're going to disagree with it. Tua Tungavailoa starting over Ryan Fitzpatrick for really? the 3-3 three three Dolphins. Yes, and I'll tell you why. Back it up. This move is essentially the exact same thing, the exact same thing that the Giants did with Eli Manning and Kurt Warner. Um, Kurt Warner had the Giants not great, but in decent position to make a playoff run, and they turned to Eli, um, I think it was after their buy as well, um, because that was predetermined before the season started. It seems like that's the case with Tua, and I get it. This team might make the wild card, especially with seven teams making the playoffs. But let's be honest. Are the Dolphins going to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That's what I thought. So let's get two of the reps now and go for it a year from now. Um, go for it next year. You're, you're clearly building. You're clearly going in the right direction. And by the way, Brian Flores, sneaky top 5'10 coach in the, in the NFL. Um, but why not make the move, give two of some reps, um, and – like, I don't know, get the growing pains out now. You're already seeing Justin Herbert go in there, and he didn't even have growing mm-hmm. pains. Burrow's playing well. Mm-hmm. Um, two was supposed to be better than both of them. Mm-hmm. So let's give him the helm. Who knows? Maybe he's going to be better than Fitzpatrick. Um, but even if he's worse, even if they don't make the playoffs, it doesn't matter because the, the goal is not 2020 for this Dolphins team. The goal has been and always will be 2021, 2022, and beyond. I like the move. It was clearly predetermined before the year. Let him go. It's a good outlook, actually. I I wouldn't have thought of it like that. I like the comparison to Eli. Um, to, to me, I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick has done a bad enough job to get the job taken from him. But I, I don't really I don't really think that's what this is. I think it's just it's two a time. I think it's that simple. It's just two a time. 
Uh, this team has a really good defense. You predicted this early in the year, like before the season started. <laughs> they have a really good defense. Uh, and I think that could go a long way. I think you put Tua in charge of the ball. Bad things might happen, but honestly, defense might be able to pick up the slack and they still scrape into the playoffs. This is a much better team than I thought they would be. Uh... I'm not ready to make the move yet if I'm the Dolphins, but I like the outlook. Here's the only thing I'll say, and I've seen every th- – this was my first reaction, and I'm glad that people like Stephen A. and Mina Kimes have picked this up too uh, because the first thing I did when I saw this was go look at their schedule and see who they're playing because I knew they had the bye oh, this yeah, week because yeah, yeah. I have Devontae Parker on my fantasy team, and I saw it was the Rams, right? <laughs> Get <laughs> fucked, dude. There. Throw them I'm right to there. the fucking Sharks. Why are you just gonna, like? Why not wait one more week? <laughs> one more week. A, you tried to steal a win over a good team with probably a F- Fitzpatrick knows how to run this team right now. But B, Aaron Donald is lining <laughs> up on the other side. Like, why are you gonna throw Tua in for his first game? Maybe they want to give it back to Fitzpatrick, but. Um, that's a conspiracy theory I saw somewhere, but I don't believe that. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> it's Tua time. I know we wrote in the notes how long of a leech does Tua have. Tua ain't losing this job. I would not be so sure about that. You might I'm be right. You might be Tua right because it's twenty twenty was not the goal. But when you're a three and three team, if he can scrape together a couple wins and then start tanking, I think he gets two bad losses before Fitzpatrick comes in. But I mean, honestly, you'd have to play really, 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 really poorly. Yes. Um, They're going to let him have his growing pains. But go ahead. Give me your best move so far. Best move. Well, first of all, I want to point out one more thing about Aaron Donald. (laughs) Recently, uh, Alex Smith came in as quarterback for the Washington football team. And and Kyle Allen came back okay from the concussion protocol. Like he could have reentered the game. They chose for him not to and just fed Alex Smith to Aaron Donald, and I felt so bad for Alex Smith and his family, but he was okay, got through the but game. awesome to see him back, by the Awesome way. to such, see him back. Such a cool story, and not if you just, haven't seen the ESPN special, go watch it. Yes, yes. Just not awesome to see Aaron Donald literally hop on his back. Just not awesome to watch. <laughs> um, I think best move so far out of these recent roster moves is Yannick Ngakwe going from the Vikings to the Ravens. Uh, I think it's a great move for both teams. When the Vikings got him originally, they gave up a second rounder and a fifth rounder for him. Uh, and what they got in return from the Ravens in this deal was a third rounder and a fifth rounder. I think that's pretty, I mean, you're pretty much calling even shots there. It's a little worse, but they're a rebuilding team. The Vikings are about to go through a rebuild. I think that's kind of clear. Uh, they need all the draft picks they can get. They've been a disappointing team this year. Just get an overhaul in the draft. And Ngakwe fits exactly what the Ravens need. When you look at their defensive numbers this year, their ranks are very, very high across the board, except for passing. Just passing defense in general, they're not efficient. They're not getting to the quarterback. They're not getting enough hurries. This is what Ngakwe is coming in for. He's tied for ninth in the league right now with four sacks, and he's tied for third with two forced fumbles. He's going to penetrate the line. He's going to get to the quarterback. I think this is a perfect move for the Ravens. I want to correct you on one thing. Um, They're second in the league in sacks. So, pass oh, yeah, you rush are, was not yeah, the yeah, problem. Yeah, you are right. Yeah, yeah, Pass rush was not the problem, but this only adds to a strength, and I I think that gets lost um, in trade deadlines and trades sometimes is when teams add to a strength instead of trying to plug a hole. Sometimes the pieces aren't there to plug a hole. Yannick Ngakwe is probably the best piece that's going to be traded this entire yes. little run unless the Falcons do something crazy and trade Julio Jones. Which could happen. Um which could happen, but I, I wouldn't call it likely. Um, 
Yeah, I'll jump in here. And I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll kind of back myself up here. And, and you're right about the sacks. Uh, what I'm looking at is, and this is probably all garbage time, but honestly, it's nice to have another guy to sub in. Uh, they have they rank 29th in a defense allowed pass attempts and pass completions. 28th in pass completions. Uh, so, and so, 20th wait. in passing yards. Obviously, all these are garbage time. So it like because they're taking so many leads, right? This Ravens and, defense and, team in general is just so dynamic. But it's nice to have another guy you can sub in on the line and get pressure consistently. So that's where I was going with it. If you look at those numbers, you'd think maybe let's add a piece in the secondary. But by adding a Yannick Ngakwe and improving an already good pass rush, you take a little bit less pressure off those cornerbacks and maybe we see those numbers tick up. Um, the other thing it does, this isn't lost on me, is it pairs him back with Calais Campbell, and that's who started for the Jags when they made that run oh, um, to the playoffs in 2017. So playoff experience across that defensive line. Um, I said it before the season. I'll say it again. I think the Ravens are the team to beat in the AFC. I yep. still do. Yep. Um, I see you Steelers for being 5-0. and I was very skeptical of you guys, and Ben has become a game manager and a damn good one. Yep. Um, but I'll be shocked, shocked. If the Ravens don't find a way to win that division. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Give me your worst move so far out of these recent roster moves. Okay, so for my worst move, I think I have to go AB to the Bucks. Yeah, I don't blame you there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, I get the temptation to love this, and I get the temptation to be really excited. I mean, Brady had Brown for one game last year, and if I remember right, it went pretty well. Uh, but... Why? That's my question. I mean, I, I honestly, I the, think you the, just the, said why. The, but but the risk reward here, I, I don't see it. The, the risk of adding that guy to the locker room, adding the sideshow that's going to come with signing an Antonio Brown um, doesn't feel worth it to me for a team with arguably two top 10 to 15 receivers um, in the NFL already on the roster. I, I don't get the risk reward here for adding a third receiver. And I get it, they only have those two, but then they have Gronk and they have all these other weapons and Ronald Jones in the backfield, Leonard Fournette. Um, I, I I don't get it, to put it simply. I think any team looking to take AB right now in free agency, is it's questionable at best. Uh, if it's going to work for anyone, I think it might be Tom Brady. I mean, like you said, we saw him show up to New England, Antonio Brown, and do well in the one game that he was there. And then Belichick was like, no, nah, I can't deal with this shit. Honestly, Bruce Arians might do the same thing. All indications would say that Arians doesn't really want to deal with AB on the roster. Uh, but when Tom Brady's your quarterback, you might kind of take a backseat on that one. I get it only because Godwin and Gronk have been injured or disappointing. If they're If they're what we think they can be, then this move makes no sense. But I think this is a safety net more than anything. The problem with this safety but, but net is... they're five and one. Yeah, I know. Exactly. That's where I was... Yeah. They're five and one. They don't need this. Uh, and and I think we're on the same page here that it would this will only add problems. I don't really see it adding a solution. If it does add a solution, they got incredibly fucking lucky and they might go on and win the Super Bowl. Like, if AB is AB that we know, they might just go win it all. Like Absolutely. That That's the thing, but... I would say the odds of that happening are like below 5%. He hasn't really played in two years. It's just, I, don't, I don't know what you're going to get. And you risk at adding this guy to the locker room. Um, I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, well, well, it's funny about the receivers, about teams that need receivers. There are contenders right now that I think could use help in the passing game. 
And quite honestly, I think one of them could be the Baltimore Ravens. Agreed. I, in my opinion, what the Ravens really need is for Lamar Jackson to take one more step passing the football, throwing the football. It just a lot. He's leading a lot of receivers out on deep routes and just missing them by just a couple yards, like very, very close. He's just right there, and he's just not able to get it done right now. He has not been the same dynamic quarterback that he was last year. I still think he can be. They could use receiving help. Uh, and so them not going for AB and the Seahawks going for AB is a little confusing because with the Ravens, that risk reward might pay off a little better. Instead, this is where I'm going with this. Des Bryant to the Ravens. I, I do not understand that move in the slightest. I mean, that dude, like AB, we don't know if he's washed yet. I feel like we know that Des Bryant's washed. I feel like we know that Des Bryant has given all he has to give to the NFL. I don't understand the move because he hasn't been great for locker rooms in the past. Maybe that's because he's on the Cowboys. But he hasn't been great for locker rooms in the past. And honestly, he hasn't given us good football in a long time. This one, to me, is like a reach. They made a great move for Ngakwe and then realized they could probably use help in the passing game. And just this seems like a fake play to me. Like, I really don't think he'll be on the roster for more than a couple weeks. I don't think he'll be on the playoff roster. I don't understand this move. I guess try it. Sure, why not? But it seems like an absolute fluke. It seems like a storyline more than anything. What do you think about Des Bryant? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, this one I get more. Um, more. I just yes. More. I just, I just talked about the risk reward with AB. The risk for bringing in Des Bryant, and by the way, it looks like he's going to end up on the practice squad. Um, and yeah. having him on the practice squad is so 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 small. So small. Yeah. There's there's no risk here. There's literally no risk here. He's get, probably getting a league minimum deal to go play on the practice squad. Um, and then hopefully, if you're a Ravens fan, make his way up to starting games alongside Marquise Brown. But um, I, I don't see any problem with this, to be honest. What's the point of not taking a shot on a guy who really he's, – he's never been suspended by the NFL, I, no. I don't think. Nope. <laughs> um I, I see where you're coming from. It there's no and, and, there's no real risk here, but is there right. really any reward? I, I don't really There could be. There that, could be that, because they really don't have a second receiver. Chance. It's they such really a don't small have chance. a second receiver. No, but they and, got and, they I I hear you. I hear you. They could use a weapon, but it's just not Des Bryant. And another thing I do understand for the Ravens is that they just what, gave what up two draft find? picks. Hang on, they just gave up two draft picks for Ngakwe. They're not really in a position to give up more draft picks for another receiver. So I, I understand they're just scraping the barrel. But, God, it's just honestly more than anything. I just laughed when I saw Des Bryant to the Ravens. I just laughed when I saw his name in NFL News again because I don't think this will mean anything. I just I, – I don't see an issue. Um, people forget in 2017 – um, he had a legit year. <laughs> I mean, he had 69 catches for 800 yards. Like, feels like, he, like ages he wasn't ago. Bad. Um, and he kind of never got a shot after that. But I don't know. I just I don't see any problem with this. He's not going to be Des Bryant of 2014 when he had 1300 yards and 16 touchdowns. Um, that's not what I'm saying. But if he can add a possession receiver to a team who doesn't really have one other than the tight end. Yeah, it's going to free up Mark Andrews to be an actual weapon. So, so I, I get it. Take a risk. Sure. Okay. You kind you sold me a little bit on this. I still think it's kind of a joke, but I think we both agree it's still much better than the AB move to the Bucks. So we talked about four. I have one bonus one. 
and I think you know where I'm going. What's the one we're missing? Yep. Le'Veon Bell picked up by the Chiefs. Um, yep. I think neither of us picked it because I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't know if it's anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you ask me, really all it does is add a weapon to a team that was already just stacked. Stacked. Uh, weapon wise, and it gives you some backup if something happens to Edwards Elaire. I don't. I, if I'm an Edwards Elaire fantasy owner, I'm not expecting his carries to go down much. Yep. Um, well, I want to speak on that real quick because I am the owner. Uh, I agree with that. I, I what I see coming from Le'Veon Bell is what Lashawn McCoy did last year for this team for for the Chiefs, and they got to a Super Bowl. And Lashawn McCoy wanted to get on the team to win a Super Bowl, was able to do that barely really ever touched the ball when he did he was pretty effective as a change of pace back but is he going to be the number one no I think Le'Veon Bell knows after being released by the Jets that he is no longer a number one running back and he went to the Chiefs to win a Super Bowl uh I don't see him cutting into Edwards Elaire's carries uh and and I see him being effective honestly I think this is a good move for the Chiefs because I don't see how it could go poorly I don't think he'll be salty about not being the number one back there he just wants to win and the the other thing I will say is that it gives him another option in the pass game. He's proven Dynamic. before that you can line him up in the backfield. You can line him up in the slot, um, out wide. He can make a difference, and you got to guard him if you don't. Or it, he he will hurt you if you don't guard him. Is what yes. I'm trying to say. Yes. Um. So I I don't see it as and he he wasn't they didn't give up any draft picks. They just signed him. So. Yep. Um, kind of a no-brainer if you're the Chiefs. Why yes. not add another weapon? It's I, I see it similar to what the Ravens did with Ngakwe. Add to a strength, shore it up. Um, Ravens did it with their pass rush. Uh, Chiefs did it with their run game and running backs. So if anything does happen to Edwards Elaire, or say he gets tired in the second half of the season, um, which happens to rookie running backs sometimes, mm-hmm. um, you got a guy right there who's done it before, ready to take carries, played in the playoffs. One thing that just popped into my head, too, is that Edwards Hilaire at the goal line and in the red zone has not been nearly as effective as in the middle of the field. They've had... and uh, He's a bigger back, Le'Veon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he Williams has been getting all the carries as their goal line back on the Chiefs, so I, I think this is just like plug Le'Veon into that role. Edwards Hilaire in his first game had three runs in a row on the one-yard line and was not even able to get close <laughs> to the end, so... And that pretty much set the table for the season for Williams to get all the goal line carries. So this is probably Bell's role, and I think that's just a good thing for for the Chiefs. So now we're going to move to the NBA. And Drew, season's over, and I'll tell you, it ended in very unceremonious fashion. It was a rather boring NBA Finals. Yeah, I mean, they gave us hope. Heat gave us hope in Game 5. I at least appreciated that. At least I got to watch a Game 6, but you're absolutely right. You watched it? <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. I, I was, I don't know. I, I I watched just about every game of the NBA playoffs, and then we got to the finals, and I was bored. Well, okay. <laughs> it's just boring the, series. The way that and Game it, 1 started the be. series, the Game 1 started the series with just a fucking blowout. Like, where are yeah. you going to go from there? I don't think yeah. anyone on the planet watched Games 2 and 3. Uh, I, I didn't watch Game 6 because once once the game started on like a 20 to 10 run for the Lakers or whatever it was, and then they led by like 30 at half. I was like, come on. That lost me immediately. So no, I didn't actually watch game six, but game five was actually a decent game. The rest of the series though, man, that series was just boring basketball. You're absolutely right. Um, so 
the the other thing is we we're past NBA season and the irony of this whole thing is usually this is when the NBA season is starting and instead it's when it's ending but um you know what else is coming up we're recording this about a week away just over a week away you know what's coming up Drew No tell me Joey uh Halloween so how we're going to talk about the NBA today <laughs> is things you should be scared of each of these sentences that I'll read has something in it that will spook you or it will use a spooky word. Um, I'm excited for it. I'm very excited. Okay, <laughs> this is so right up I, my alley, bro. <laughs> I, I, I teed it up perfectly so I could jump right into the first one. Jimmy Butler in the finals spooked the rest of the league, cementing his place as a top 10 player. What, what are your thoughts? What are my thoughts? I don't even think it took until the finals. I think we kind of figured this out in the in the conference finals. The way that Jimmy Butler was able to honestly rip through the Celtics defense, uh, and, and he's never really a primary scoring threat. We see him just pass up open shots all the time. But he he did something special in the finals where he just averaged triple doubles like LeBron. I mean, I haven't seen anything like that in a while. He was not interested in taking open shots. He was interested in getting the best shot for his team, and I really only see that from LeBron. Uh, I'm spooked. Rest of the league should be spooked. What do you think? I agree. The rest of the league should be spooked. I'm not sure if I'm ready to say he has cemented his place as a top 10 player. Um, I think it's close. Um, and I can name 10 players who I think are better than him if you want. See, I don't think I could at this point because it used to have guys like Joel Embiid and Kyrie Irving. Well, let me try. Okay. Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi. Harden, Davis, Jokic. Easy six right there. Easy. Right? And then now is when you get into that territory where some guys can go either way, but Luka needs to be on there ahead of him. Damian Lillard needs to be on there ahead of him. Um, I think Jason Tatum belongs on there ahead of him. Oh. And, Carl An- oh. and then Carl Anthony Towns, oh. Russell Westbrook. It's close between all these guys. I hear Paul you. George, I, I hear you on Donovan West. Mitchell. Did you just Jamal say Paul Murray's George? Up there. You just said Paul George. <laughs> I did, and you know it's amazing. We could have a Paul George whole Holy segment. Holy shit, George we could. Because I still think Paul George is he's going to bounce back next year in ways we haven't seen before. God, I hope you're um, right, but dude, you can't call him a top ten player after what we just saw. I think a year from now we'll be instead of. Are we Jimmy Butler spooked the rest of the league, cementing his place as a top ten player? It's going to be Paul George and top seven. Um, <laughs> I, I, that that's my hot take for the next year. That's I think a he's going to fucking just, hot take. <laughs> I mean, I, coming into this year, there was no doubt he was a top ten player in the NBA. No doubt. I would, agree. Injury, I would agree. Injury played year and like four bad games in the playoffs that everyone clung to, even though he had four really good ones too. Um, but that's a totally different discussion. We're talking about Jimmy Butler. Point is, I don't know if he cemented his place because there are arguments to be made for a lot of the guys that I just said. And I didn't even mention Trey Young and Bradley Beal, who both average over 30 points a game. I don't know if Trey Young actually got to 30. No, Bradley Beal averaged over 30 points a game. Trey Young just Trae Young under was, 30, just under. It, it was 29 and 10, though. Yep. Or whatever it was, right? It's so, 29 and 10 or um, 29 and 9. It's close either way. And yes, that's what the worst defense ever. um you don't have to tell me twice literally maybe one of the worst defensive seasons ever but um i think cementing his place as a top 10 player is where you lose me in that sentence because he's close he was close before i think he's still close 
Um, but I I think there are a lot of guys who would like a word there I, to say the I, least. I gotta jump in here for Embiid Embiid too. I didn't even say Embiid. I, Embiid I, would like I a agree. Word. I agree. Embiid is. I, I think Embiid is closer than some of the guys you named. To be completely honest, I'd put Embiid above Carl Anthony Towns and. And I mean, come on, but, Paul but George. Think but about hang, this, hang think on, about give this. me this. Give me this. I, I, give me, I, you know who else looks like a top? I'm, I'm throwing one more name out there. Who? You know who else looks like a top ten player in the playoffs in the world? And you can't Jamal Murray. Treat me on this, Jamal Murray. So there are a lot of guys who put themselves in that conversation to the point where I don't know if Butler quite distanced himself that much when he was playing on a team that Bam Adebayo went off. They don't make it this far without Tyler Hero. Um, Goran Dragic was the best Goran Dragic we've seen since his All Star season in. Uh, fucking Phoenix. So I think there's something to be said for Jimmy Butler making it to the finals with that team. I think he brought the best out of that team that anyone could have outside of a couple guys in the league like LeBron. Just with his assist numbers. I mean, the dude is such a good facilitator and he showed it in the playoffs. There's something that's got to be said for making it to the finals and taking the Lakers to six games because no one else did, including Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic including, I'm sorry, Kawhi and Paul George with the disappointment of the playoffs, including Jason Tatum, who Jimmy Butler was able to go through on his way to the finals, uh, including Russell Westbrook, who has not made a finals yet in his career. I think there's something to be said for making that finals, making that leap. Um, cementing is a tough word to use for top 10, but I think he has definitely spooked the last couple guys at the top of that list. So I hear you. I do. I think it's a very valid point that he's the only person or they're the only team. And that's where I struggle with that, too. That brought the Lakers to six games. <laughs> Touche. Um, I get that. But you know what he averaged in the playoffs? 22 points, six rebounds, six assists. He was good. Those are very good numbers. I don't know if they're top 10 in the NBA numbers especially when he only did it for 20 games. You know what I mean? Like Those aren't numbers that, have, that are making me say, oh, my God, look at this guy. He's so scary. That's, that's not where my head goes when I hear 22, 6, and 6. Very good, but I don't know if they're cementing in the top 10 good. No, but here's, here's what cements him. Uh, and, and I even said earlier I don't know if cementing is the right word. That's a tough word to use here. But here's what puts him in the conversation, uh, and I believe in a good position in the conversation. His numbers in the finals, when he needed to up it against a team like the Lakers, who I think everyone had winning that series, when he had to up his game, when Bam missed a couple games, when Dragic missed a couple games, uh, Hero had a couple games that he was off from the floor at a 14-point game where I think he shot like 35% from the field. Uh, Jimmy Butler averaged in the, playoff, in the finals games 29 points, 8.6 rebounds, 10.2 assists, and 2.6 steals. That's crazy. I mean, that LeBron had a slightly better stat line, but Butler with more assists, more than double the steals per game. Uh, I mean, astounding, astounding performance from him in the finals. I, and I think that speaks more to me than the overall postseason averages. When he had to step up and take it to that next level, he did. And against you know the Lakers, no one else did. did. In, you know what he did in the game they lost, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 12 points on 10 shots. Uh, eight point or eight assists, seven rebounds. That's not horrible point. though. The eight and it's seven. It's not horrible, but is that's the top ten player in the NBA with the season on the line? I don't know. Against the best team in the league in I the finals, I, top I'm, ten player with the season on the line doesn't do that. I, I'm just I, saying. I find it hard to. You're bringing up postseason averages 
and then I bring up finals averages, and then you point out one game. Like I could point out one game in his entire yeah, run th- where he put up. Point. No, no, no. That's I could, my no, point. No, no. What I'm Top saying is, in his postseason run, do I could point out a game, game where he had like 44 points. I think he had a game with 44 points. Like I could Top point 10 that players out. Players in the NBA do it every single game. That's the line here. Uh, Russ does not do that. Yeah, yeah, he's probably not top ten either. Okay, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> okay. But I, I, I would saying. say I, I, you pointed out a quick top six. I think top six players in the NBA do that on a game to game basis. I think past that, it's a little more fuzzy than you're giving it credit for. I mean, we've seen Joel Embiid score zero points in a game this season. He did do that. He did um, that, and he's probably a top he, ten you know, player. You know, when I say every game, obviously there are outliers, and fair to Jimmy Butler, he had an outlier, but LeBron doesn't have bad games, and I know Jimmy Butler's not LeBron, and I'm not trying to say he is, but cementing the top tens where I lose it, but let's move on to our second point. Um, LeBron is currently the most terrifying, and there's your Halloween word, player in the NBA. Uh, I I don't think so. I want to hear your thoughts first, though. You can't start with I don't think so and then not give your thoughts. I love doing that to you. (laughs) Go. I think it's a dumb thing to say. You should have won MVP this year. No, and and it's hard to say that LeBron's not the most terrifying player in the NBA. He just won the NBA Finals MVP. Like, obviously, I would say he's the best player in the league right now. But most terrifying to me has a little bit of different connotation to it in that I think some players have a higher ceiling. On a game-by-game basis, a guy like Damian Lillard could give you 60 points, and he could just absolutely decimate your team. I don't think LeBron can do that at this stage in his career. Um, Don't get me wrong. The guy's an amazing, amazing player. He outplayed everyone on the Heat uh, in the finals. He outplayed pretty much everyone on his way to the finals, and he's 35 years old. Like the, The dude is crazy, and that is terrifying in and of itself. But most terrifying player, I think there are guys with a higher ceiling. I'm really excited to see what Luka can do next year. Uh, Honestly, Anthony Davis might be the most terrifying player because of his defensive presence. You can't go inside on him anymore. He decided to become Rudy Gobert and also shoot from anywhere on the floor. He might be the most terrifying player in the league. Giannis might be. He's the Greek freak. Uh, We have yet to see that in the playoffs, but... But I don't think that's his fault, and I think you'd agree. Most terrifying, I'm not ready to say that about LeBron. Best player in the league, yes. He's absolutely the most terrifying player in the NBA. Um, And I don't know that it's close. You know what he averaged in the playoffs, if we want to do playoff averages? (laughs) 27.6, 10.8 rebounds, and 8.8 assists. And gave him a steal a game. And did it shooting 56%. And shot 37% from three and... I get it. If you want the guy to go shoot a free throw, probably not the. <laughs> in, in, in the words of Max Kellerman's, Martians have the beam ready. I ain't picking LeBron for the free throw line. You ask him to do anything else in the world, I'm picking LeBron James. Um, what the guy did this postseason at 35 years old is just absurd. I just said 25, 10, and 8 on 56% shooting and 37% from three. I mean, that's ridiculous. Name another player in the NBA who's going to give you that. No one. Well, that's where my argument comes in. I think in the next couple of years, there's one guy clearly capable of being able to do that. That's what that's what people have said for three, four, five years about LeBron. Uh, he's getting old. He has one bad game. No, uh, I, don't, I, old. I don't think and he's going to decrease. He's not but doing I th- it. I, I think <laughs> he, if, he gets better. He doesn't get worse. It's I, amazing. I honestly think at this stage in his career, Luke Doncic is the most terrifying player in the league. That's what I think. 
because I mean, we it saw him. If we're talking about for the next ten years, or are we talking about it right now? The question was right now. Uh, right now, LeBron James is the most terrifying player in the NBA. I know you're you're doing what Stephen A. does. He loves to talk about the future just to be that guy, right? And yes, two, three, four years from now, probably Luca. But if you're asking me right now, going into 2020, 2021 NBA season, probably just the 2021 NBA season because I don't think it's starting until January. It has to be LeBron James, and it's not close. Well, hey, you're comparing me to Stephen A., so I'm doing something right. I'm uh, comparing you to the bad part of Stephen A. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I still see it as there are guys with a higher ceiling on a game-to-game basis, and, and in the playoffs, that doesn't show. In the playoffs, LeBron's an absolute monster, and the playoffs and, uh, do count more than anything. You said he's not going to go out. And I, I, you I think the most terrifying player is Damian Lillard, and, and it might be Anthony Davis. I think those guys are absolutely terrifying. The question is, so <laughs> we got a different definition of terrifying here. I think that's where I'm going with this. You're saying, okay, so so let's say hypothetically, you and me are coaching an NBA team, right? We're trying to make the game plan. You're more scared to game plan for Damian Lillard than you are for LeBron James. Well played. I might be more scared to game plan for Anthony Davis. I'll be honest on that. I, I don't agree in the modern NBA because everyone wants to shoot 73s a game anyway. Um, so, that, so that game you shoot 80, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, fine. Okay. <laughs> Has that worked and, for teams, though? No. And at some point, you got to get still, interior scoring. Still, and he's the but, most dominant defensive but, player in the league today. But offensively, I I don't know that it's that close. And the most amazing thing, too, is if you look at his like plus minus in every game, it doesn't really even make sense how good the numbers are. <laughs> they, they lost game uh, five, right? Yeah. Lost by three. Yep. He was plus seven. <laughs> I mean, that's just what he does. You know, like most terrifying player in the NBA, LeBron James. Easy. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> this last one's a fun one. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Um, boo. boo the mlb ratings creeped up on the nbas and they should be scared i don't know if you saw this drew but um the mlb ratings for game one of the world series and game seven of the nlcs just absolutely trounced any ratings from the nba finals and that might go to what we were talking about earlier when i said jesus christ these were boring fucking finals um yeah but uh, over I'm taking a page out of the over-under reaction thing here. Over-under reaction, the NBA should be scared. I don't think so, to be completely honest. I think we saw such a disappointment of a finals matchup this year that I I think that's really what came into play. Uh, I think more than anything, the MLB should be excited. I don't think the NBA should be scared. I think they're doing so much right. Uh, But this can only be good for the MLB. Before we get anyone in here complaining about the fact that the World Series Game 1 TV ratings were the lowest in the last 20 years, I believe, uh, lower than anything since 2008 for sure, that's the stupidest argument in today's game. Uh, We know better than anyone, you and me especially, we don't have cable, we don't watch on TV. So many people don't watch on TV, the the younger demographic all watches online. So if you're going to give me ratings, don't give me just TV ratings. Fox has given us the TV and streaming ratings that have shown us that the World Series was surpassing the NBA Finals games. And I think that's just absolutely incredible uh, for the MLB. I don't think you can shake it another way. I don't think the NBA should be 
uh, spooked about that or scared or whatever you want to call it in here. So you want to know what I think this – I agree. NBA should not be scared. You, you know, want to know what I think this has to do with? You're not going to like me for it before oh, good. I jump in. I don't but, usually um, like you. What is it? <laughs> um, but the MLB season is usually 162 games spanning how many months? What is it? It starts Six in late months. March, Six months, April, <laughs> May, June, July, August, September, October. That's a seven-month season, really. Um, with playoffs, October. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. So se- seven month season. Um, I think people are tired of it by the time they get to <laughs> game, what, 180 for some of these teams, uh, 175, whatever. Um, I think people have grown tired of it sometimes. Um, but this year, the MLB had that short 60 game burst where every game mattered. It was quick. It was to the point, And it got us to the playoffs remarkably quickly. Um, and the amazing thing, we sat here on this podcast and said we were worried that by having that three-game series at the start um, and then by having no off days that the best teams wouldn't make it to the end. Well, I'm sitting here as a Yankee fan who, whose team was supposed to be the best team coming into this season in the American League. Rays were the best team in the AL all year long. Yep. Dodgers were the best team in the NL all year long. Yep. So I think all of those factors – lead you to this where this short 60 game burst where all the games matter just had people excited to watch the world series and that's gonna stay all the way through i want to ask you first uh because we both are huge fans of the game we follow it all the time when there are 162 games we follow almost every single game i watch almost every single braves yeah, game you with so the do I. It's, yeah. it's not a problem for us it's we not a problem for us end too but but i want to ask you do you think the mlb should shorten their season Absolutely. And if they want these ratings to stay, then absolutely. I mean, I live with three casual baseball fans, right? Um, they they grow tired of the season. And, and I don't blame that's them. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. It's hard, especially during the summer months, to sit there and get excited to stay inside and watch a baseball game if you don't really love it. So I think if we're sitting there thinking about casual fans and vast majority of baseball fans are casual fans, then absolutely. I don't think it should be 60. I think 100 to 120 is a much better look. But why does it have to be 162? Also, not 160, 162. Who the fuck added the extra two? Um, (laughs) No, I'm with you on this, and and I want to say, while 60 games, we we looked at that at the beginning of the year, and we were like, this is ridiculous, so we're going to have so many fluke teams. Oh, we were so mad, and... And really, when you look at the playoff bracket, tell me a fluke team that made it. There, there really Marlins wasn't one. The Marlins are probably closest. The Marlins, the Marlins are, are probably, probably closest. closest, but I watched that team more than you just on the basis of uh, we were in the same division as them. Right. And we played them in the playoffs, and while we were clearly a better team than them, they are not a bad team. Like, in my opinion, in an eight-seed playoff round, they were a playoff-caliber team. And, and they... Uh... They won a playoff series. <laughs> they did, yeah. Sw- swept swept a playoff series against against right. the Cubs, who were yeah. not a bad team. So yeah, so I, I, I do agree. Sixty games is just a little too short because that we have one season sample size to say that things can't go wrong. Uh, but I'm with you. I was going to say 100 to 120. It's exactly what you said. Uh, that's what the game needs. The ratings should tell the game enough. I think that should be one of the things they discuss this offseason and next year during the CBA agreement. And and we totally hijacked this NBA segment to talk about the MLB, but um, oops, no, the NBA shouldn't be scared. Yes, the MLB should think about making it a shorter season. I think yeah. 
that sums it up. So that's it for our spooky NBA uh, segment. (laughs) (laughs) So we are officially back, as I said in the intro, new episodes every weekend. We're committing to that, aren't we, Drew? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, every single weekend, new episodes. Get excited. That's it for this one. Um, We don't know if we're going to have baseball to talk about next time we record. Uh, Series could be over. Series might not be over. Um, we will. Well, we'll get to talk about who wins at least. True, true, true. Yeah. And then um, we'll, of course, be back with some NFL and NBA as usual. So we will see you next time.